The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Uh, a really good morning to you this Thursday. Let's just give you the headlines here on Scorebox. Uh, Hurricane Laura is now just hours away from making landfall as a Category 4 storm near the Texas-Louisiana border, with the Texas Governor Abbott issuing a dire warning. This has been categorized repeatedly as an unsurvivable storm surge where it will be hitting. Uh, And that storm surge could continue inland for about 30 miles. Fed Chair Jerome Powell expected to signal a major policy shift on inflation as global central bankers meet virtually to discuss the challenges ahead in the COVID era. Stay tuned to CNBC for interviews with all the top names. Day three of the Republican National Convention concludes with racial tensions peaking amid unrest in Wisconsin. With the Vice President Mike Pence casting the re-election of Donald Trump as critical to preserving law and order. You won't be safe in Joe Biden's America. And under President Trump, we will always stand with those who stand on the thin blue line and we're not going to defund the police, not now, not ever. And the TikTok CEO, Kevin Mayer, quits, citing a changing political environment after US actions to ban the Chinese video app according to a letter obtained by CNBC. Uh, Good morning, everyone. Uh, Hurricane Laura is set to make landfall along the northwest Gulf Coast in the next two hours, bringing maximum sustained wind speeds of 150 miles per hour. Do you remember this time yesterday we talked about the NHC flashes and they were talking about a Category 2 storm that had maximum speeds of 105 miles an hour. Now we've got to Category 4 and 150 miles an hour. So quite extraordinary, that increase as well. Um, Yeah, they're they're, they're saying there could be a catastrophic storm surge. Now, as I say, a Category 4 storm is not expected to intensify any further, though, with the National Hurricane Centre expecting Laura to rapidly weaken once it moves inland. Speaking at the Republican National Convention, the Vice President Mike Pence acknowledged efforts underway in Louisiana and Texas to prepare for Hurricane Laura. Our administration is working closely with authorities in the states that will be impacted. FEMA has mobilized resources and supplies for those in harm's way. This is a serious storm. And we urge all those in the affected areas to heed state and local authorities. Stay safe and know that we'll be with you every step of the way to support, rescue, respond, and recover in the days and weeks ahead. Well, as ever, Jay Gray normally finds himself at the the center of these stories, and he is there again. So NBC's Jay Gray filed this report from Louisiana. The leading edge of Laura, battering the Gulf Coast with the worst still on the way. We 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 are anticipating catastrophic damages. From a Category 4 major hurricane with winds well over 100 miles an hour, more than a foot of rain in some areas, and what the National Hurricane Center calls an unsurvivable and potentially historic storm surge. At just three feet, the surge can be life-threatening. At six feet, the waves can smash through windows and doors. 
at nine feet, entire neighborhoods can be swallowed. Laura's storm surge could crest at 20 feet. To think that there would be a wall of water over two stories high coming on shore is very difficult for most to uh, conceive, but that is what is going to happen. And Laura will continue to wreak havoc as it pushes inland. We could have 90 mile per hour wind gusts up to southern Arkansas. So we expect millions of people to be without power by Thursday evening. And then we have to deal with possibly even some rainfall and flooding in Tennessee and Kentucky. This massive storm tonight, just beginning its assault. Jay Gray, NBC News. All right, let's take a, a very quick look at where WTI and Brent are currently trading. There was a 46 handle on from month Brent yesterday, uh, 46.05 I saw, uh, now trading just a little bit below that, 45.79. WTI picking up as well to 43.37. Let's speak to my old friend, Johannes Benini, chairman and founder of JBC Energy Group as well. Johannes, as ever, great to speak to you as well. Um, look, just let's cover the US first of all before we talk about other matters in the oil market as well. Uh, what are the short-term ramifications of what we're seeing uh, with that, this huge and potentially devastating Hurricane Laura? Hi, Steve. Uh, first of all, we have about 1.8 million barrels of uh, crude oil production offshore at the Gulf of Mexico that has been uh, taken offline. Uh, at the same time, we have refining capacity of close to 3 million barrels uh, that is right now uh, not operating. So on a net basis, uh, you see that the refinery is uh, not operating, a crude oil supply uh, is not being supplied. Um, you know, in, in, in theory, that may lead to a little bit of a stock build. But of course, uh, product inventory may be drawn uh, down the line as refiners are not producing more products. Overall, usually what hurricanes always do is uh, they're helping the product market um, a little bit more. Refinery margins in this point of time are always a little bit uh, supportive. Yeah, because refining margins across the board are under a huge amount of product, uh, pressure anyway, I guess, whether it's nat gas, whether it's oil anyway. So we spent most of the early part of the year, Johannes, uh, everyone suddenly becoming experts on the levels of inventory at Cushing and elsewhere. Ha has that longer term picture abated somewhat since then, where the pressure uh, on storage ha has come away a little bit and actually more product is getting to market, more product is being needed by the market? Right, Stephen. First of all, crude oil inventories are still 20% higher uh, than what would have been last year's numbers. Um, on gasoline, they're only slightly higher. That means we're probably in good terms right now in the next two weeks to come to a five-year average. And when it comes to middle distillate, remember, that's the one that also not only has diesel, but jet fuel, uh, which is not really consumed right now. Middle distillates are at record highs, yeah? so they, they are very high. Um, and uh, they're about 32% higher than what they would have been a year ago. Johannes, let's move on to the, the longer term, bigger picture. And of course, the violence that you and I witnessed uh, in the early part of the year, even, even long term observers like you and people like me have been looking at it for quite a while as well. We've never seen quite such violence as we saw uh, in April, the April contract to WTI as well. But now we seem for the last month or so to be in a very benign environment. We've seen a gently rising WTI, gently rising uh, Brent. What's going to shake it out of that gentle, benign environment? Yeah, the gentle benign environment shows, you know, relatively stable uh, situation. Uh, however, the market structure is in a small contango. So it doesn't show you that the market is really strong. Uh, long term prices are a little bit higher. Yes, that's fine. But if you look at it two months ago, it was the same structure, maybe $5 lower. Uh, so in real terms, the market is needing a signal. We at the time right now, 
where this signal is only slowly going to come because we're eating through a lot of the inventories that were built up in the second quarter. Uh, now, this inventory decline is taking place, but there has been a lot of volatility. A lot of inventories were removed. A lot of oil was removed in the second quarter from the Chinese. There have been tremendous buyers. Right now, not so much, right? So that means they have front-loaded a lot of the buying. And so that then leads to a situation where this period of eating through the inventories is taking longer. Now, OPEC Plus is helping tremendously by reducing supply. Thank you very much. Uh, that's working. But you would assume that should, that should reduce the inventories a little bit faster. But because of all the dynamics with people hesitating and uh, you know the pandemic not really showing a clear sign yet, uh, it's going very slowly. But um, as you will remember, I, I think we're going back in June now, um, uh, ever the optimist, Mr. Novak, um, the Russian energy minister, uh, he was talking about a supply deficit uh, as early as July, certainly by August as well. Has it transpired like that? Are we actually in a supply deficit, despite what you were saying about the longer term inventory picture? Yes, the crude oil balances are uh, negative. Uh, they will continue to do so till the end of the year. They will continue and will increase to be negative. That means the market is going through, eating through the inventories. Uh, we have less supply than demand. Uh, but because demand, you know, needs to, you know, really strengthen uh, to have a major impact on that deficit and to reduce the inventories, it's not happening that quickly. But what Novak pointed out and uh, where I agree with him is if the demand dynamics are positive, this deficit is going to become bigger and bigger, and we don't need so many cuts. Now, remember, when OPEC Plus announced their cuts, they made cuts initially big. Right now, we are in a phase which is medium kind of cuts, still quite significant. And then starting from January next year till March 2022, they still have very big cuts on their books. You may not need those cuts, right? And that means that's the bullish uh, bullet uh, that we are having in the gun. Yeah, you sound uh, very constructive on price at the moment, Johannes, as well. So do you have um, a forecast which is north of $50 a barrel for any time soon? Uh, well, I don't have such a forecast simply because we, we still have not a clear sign that the pandemic is gone. Uh, and so it very much needs the demand, not only the work on the supply reduction. Uh, having said that, what then comes if, let's say, the demand increases, uh, we would have anticipated, and, and we do, uh, that the cuts that are taking place right now from OPEC Plus may not be effectuated. That means they may say, well, we don't need to cut so much. Why would we cut so much? Why? Remember, if they were to maintain their cuts as they have them right now, oil prices easily would jump beyond $50. That may not be in the interest of all the players because that would re-invite a lot of the US shale production back into the market that currently is basically sidelined. Johannes, um, I know you well, You and I have been friends for decades, but uh, I know you, you spend your time in Singapore, you spend your time in Vienna. I think you're in the former now as well. What about the Asian consumer as well, the Asian demand, the Asian transport demand? Of course, China bounced back very quickly. There are hopes that there is longevity to that bounce back as well. But there is there a difference in attitude to product now you're seeing in Asia compared with Europe and elsewhere, perhaps in, in the West? That's right. Um, Asian demand is not so much down. Um, we have seen the Asian economies benefiting from a higher degree of discipline of its population in, in handling orders, in handling um, how to deal with the, with the limitations imposed on them. And uh, so a lot of the economies here are very disciplined. 
still they are part of the global economy, so they are not completely isolated. Uh, we have the biggest problem in India, which is really weighing on the demand uh, because Indian economy is is out of the uh, out of it for the last uh, three four months, and uh, the government right now is continuing the lockdown for another month. So that's where the big problem is. But if you look into China and Northeast Asia. Uh, those markets are quite constructive. Uh, the biggest strengths we can see is in the petrochemical segment, uh, particularly for products like LPG and NAFTA. Um, the global travel industry is still down more than 50% for the second half of the year. That's where the big problem is, and that won't walk away very quickly. Uh, and I'm going to circle back to where we came in, Johannes, and talking about the US oil complex as well, because you know far better than I do, but we speak to similar people in many ways, that there are massive issues about the spend on infrastructure, the spend on products going forward in US shale and US product more generally. There is a lack of appetite in many cases to invest in 2021, 2022 and beyond capacity as well. Is the swing producer that has become Shell, is that going to abate somewhat as a major factor in oil markets going forward? Well, there are major uncertainties right now, which are also related to the U.S. election. Uh, let's bear in mind, if, if Trump were re-elected, Shell or business has a viable outlook for coming back. Uh, on the other side, if uh, Mr. Biden were elected president, uh, the question is to what degree is he making federal land available for drilling rights? Uh, if that were not the case, in certain areas of the U.S., uh, shale production would significantly be impacted. So uh, there is a certain, uh, I mean, there is huge uncertainty about about this outcome. Um, otherwise, I mean, the market is, is very unstable right now simply because the global cooperation and the global trade is, is fractured. And uh, from that point of view, uh, you know, it's not looking that great. Johannes, we're going to leave it there. Very nice to see you again, actually. Nice to see you perhaps in the flesh one day again, Johannes. Uh, many happy days standing <laughs> on a cold Vienna street. Uh, Johannes, thank you very thank much you. indeed for that. Johannes Benini, chairman and founder of JBC Energy Group. OK, let's take a look at these US markets overnight. Again, look at that really strong performance. The Nasdaq was up 1.7%. The S&P 500 up 1%. The S&P's done five out of five now the last five sessions. Um, it's up 7.7% uh, year to date. The Dow's down 0.7% year to date. You may be interested in that. And the Nasdaq, well, there's a bit of inflation if you're looking for it. We'll talk about this a little bit later on, maybe. Uh, up 30% year to date. Let's uh, move on and take a look at technology stocks. Um, as you know, these are the major drivers of the market. Any name you're picking out there? Yeah, me too. Look at that. Netflix up 11.6%. Facebook, 8.2% north. Tesla, I mean, they're just gravity-defying numbers. I, in fact, I defy you to tell me that you're buying these on their earnings potential. You're buying them on momentum, aren't you? Or do, 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 do none of the old metrics matter anymore? Do none of the old metrics that you and I have talked about for decades matter? I don't know. Maybe they don't. Maybe they don't. Maybe, maybe it's all changed world. Uh, Asian indices. Let's have a look at these. The Nikkei down five-tenths of a percent. The Hang Seng down 0.88%. Uh, the Shanghai Composite making a small move to the upside, as indeed is the ASX 200. And, and look, producer Laura has uh, pointed out uh, the MSCI. To, to me, big pun. Producer Katie. Sorry, big pun. It's Hurricane Laura and producer Katie. There you go. God, I've got Laura in the brain. And she tells me, yeah, if she, she speaks, I say. So anyway, let's have a look. MSCI World Index. It, it's hitting pretty much record levels, I'm told. Um, so I'm told by uh, Katie, not Laura. 
uh, up 3.8% year-to-date as well. In the current session, we've got a 1% increase on the world index. But I, again, I'll tell you, within that as well, there are some huge, huge disparities on indices, which are still massively negative for the year. And of course, those like the NASDAQ would have put on 30%. Let's move on. The Wisconsin Attorney General has released the name of the officer who shot a black man, sparking several days of demonstrations. The state agency says Rustin Shesky shot Jacob Blake seven times in the back on Sunday, leaving Blake paralyzed, according to his family's attorney. Officers found a knife in Blake's car. His shooting has sparked a wave of protests in recent days, with some turning violent. A 17-year-old was arrested in connection with a deadly shooting during a protest in Kenosha. Two people were fatally shot and another injured. Uh, We want to warn you that actually some of the images you're about to see are disturbing. NBC's Wendy Woolfolk filed this report. Clean up in Kenosha after protests turned deadly. Police have arrested 17-year-old Kyle Rittenhouse and charged him with intentional homicide after a third night of protests ended with two people fatally shot and another injured in a community already on edge. Violence to property, violence to people, absolutely unacceptable. The outrage growing nightly in the wake of Sunday's shooting of 29-year-old Jacob Blake. Thankfully, Mr. Blake is alive and recovering from that, that incident. The incident caught on camera, showing police firing shots at Blake, leaving him paralyzed from the waist down. His life will be forever changed. This community is going to be forever changed. The state of Wisconsin is, is quite honestly, forever changed. You look at the incident uh, that, that followed. This disturbing video posted online overnight, showing a person carrying a rifle and shots heard in the streets. Despite Blake's family pleas for peaceful protests, people still defying curfew orders. Please, let's begin to pray for healing for our nation. We are the United States. Have we been united? A family, a community, and a nation grappling with how to move forward. Wendy Woolfolk, NBC News. God, how do you follow stuff like that? I came into this business to study, look at business and markets and look at the terrible things we have to report sometimes. Coming up on the show, TikTok CEO Kevin Mayer quits the company. Uh, find out why after the break. And we've got a podcast for you. It's, it's Hurricane Laura. Check out Squawk Box podcast available from all major providers and the CNBC website. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. We talked about the Chinese economic recovery with Johannes Benini just now. Well, the post-lockdown recovery continues to gain momentum, apparently, as industrial profits for July. These are big numbers. Industrial profits for July jumped by almost 20%. What do you mean that's the fastest rating? A couple of months? COVID period? It's the fastest rating. Oh, it says on the screen. Oh, 
Oh, well. Uh, fastest rate in over two years. However, industrial profits for the year are still more than 8% lower due to the pandemic. Perhaps that's a more realistic, longer-term picture. Now, despite the positive data, analysts warn those trends could reverse amid souring tensions with the United States on Wednesday. Washington has announced it is imposing sanctions on 24... Hang on a second. So it's Wednesday, yeah? Oh, that's yesterday. Uh, 24 Chinese firms for their involvement in the Chinese uh, South China Sea dispute. Didn't we have on Tuesday and then Monday, my headline was rapprochement between China and US over phase one talks uh, actually uh, lessen tensions and that's why the market rallied. You gotta love this, I'm gonna take a step back, okay, right? So the market rallies on day one because of lessened tension. Market rallies day two, we ignore the increased tensions. TikTok CEO Kevin Mayer, that's M-A-Y-E-R, has acquit the company. Mayer's resignation comes as the video sharing app is being forced by the Trump administration to divest its U.S. operations. Sam has more. Sam, I read a bit of the statement um, that, that was going around. I think CNBC got hold of as well. So he, in, he signed up for a global role, but he didn't sign up for the political tensions. Is, is that the long and the short of it? I think you've hit the nail on the head uh, in summary there, Steve. Yeah, I mean, this comes just uh, months after his appointment. Of course, he only joined in June the 1st. uh, But I will read you a little bit of that letter to employees, which was obtained by CNBC. It said that in recent weeks, uh, as the political environment has sharply changed, I have done significant reflection on what the corporate structural changes will require and what it means for the global role I signed up for against this backdrop. And as we expect to reach a resolution very soon, It is with a heavy heart that I wanted to tell you all to know uh, that I have decided to leave the company. Of course, that backdrop that he is referring to is, uh, of course, TikTok, that app being forced to sell its U.S. business uh, by September the 15th or face a ban in the United States over national security concerns. Of course, Washington uh, has uh, got concerns about TikTok and its users' data in America actually ending up in the hands of the Chinese uh, government. And this is something that uh, TikTok and its parent Chinese company ByteDance have repeatedly denied. Uh, But right now, of course, we have got Microsoft and Oracle certainly in the running to snap up TikTok's US business um, to buy it off uh, the Chinese parent company ByteDance. Uh, And of course, on Monday, we did see uh, TikTok actually sue the US government, alleging it was deprived of due process. And that could potentially actually delay this ban and uh, give TikTok a little bit more time uh, to get a better deal for this sale. But, you know, certainly this crackdown on on Chinese companies in the US has become, uh, you know, the latest flashpoint in tensions uh, as we do head into this November elections. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.